great if you'd like to have a Bible. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all across our land, around the world indeed. Chapter 15 of the letter of Paul to 1 Corinthians there will be preached. It is the highlight of the, uh, this particular epistle because it speaks of the resurrection of the Lord our God. I'm Buzz McNutt. I'm the teaching pastor. And if you're kind of unaccustomed to what's going on here, this is our Bible study time. This is a time when we open up the Bible and we see what God has to say to us in order that we may be made more like him and to walk after him. And so we love the word of God. If you, if you need a copy of it, I know we've got plenty of them. Make sure everyone has that. Yeah. Seeing these kids up here singing away, thinking, boy, that's, that's a tough act to follow. Yeah, but good job, kids. I really appreciate that. I don't think that I ever did anything like that as a young person. Um, I know that we're coming to the end of the school year. Some of you are excited about finishing that. I was talking with Bob. Bob and I were talking. Bob's son, Chris, is finishing up his doctoral degree, and so we love them. We're praying for them that they're defending dissertations. It's a very, uh, very tense time in the life of a young person like that. Our own Dave Phillips. Many of you remember Dave, pastor here, will be finishing up his doctoral work too, and um, it's, a, it's a pretty intense, stress-filled Time. I remember it all too well. I don't think I've ever been closer to God than I was in those days of, uh, of prayer and going through those examinations. And um, I had four, four days of four-hour exams to f- complete that degree. And it was on the second day, I told you this before, it was on the second day of those exams very early in the morning that I had realized that I had spent a disproportionate amount of time getting ready for the first day and not the proper time for getting ready for the second day. And my face was literally down in the cushions of the couch saying, Oh God, just deliver me from this hour. And uh, so it's a, it was a very intense time. Um, but by His grace, it, it was finished. And I remember um, for the doctoral degree, you get hooded. They put all kinds of things on you and make a big deal of it. But the thing that I'd bring to your attention at this point is, is it was days later before I could just, I think it's finished. You've had this experience, uh, whether it's high school graduation or wherever it may be, and it's days later, and oh, oh, or maybe maybe you've had dreams, huh? How about that reoccurring dream that oh, you didn't pass that last course, or you didn't turn that last paper in, and therefore you didn't complete that, or oh, here's the good one: you have a library fine. Back in my day, if you had a library fine, you weren't going to get your diploma. And for weeks, I'm waking up with this reoccurring dream. Oh, I've got a 27-cent library fine, and oh, I didn't finish, and they're going to take it back, or they didn't give it to me. And then I wake up. Oh, I still have it. Still have it. Courses unfinished and fines not paid. Finishing. 
We all really, really like to finish. I wasn't taught that at a young age. I would go to school and my math, math papers, my math homework wasn't finished. Just sitting there in that desk with fear and intrepidation, she's going to call on me. She's going to call on me and I'm not going to know how to do it. But better still are the days in which I did finish my homework and I'm just sitting there. Go ahead. Right? Call on, I don't care which one, you can call on me for the last one. I got it all finished. There's such a security and a feeling about that I just love. I like this time of the year to get to study the resurrection. On the cross, what did Jesus say? Some of you know that. He said, it is finished. What a great. Today I want us to look at the word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. So I'm in 15:12. Hey, did any of you guys see the news footage on the uh, on the young soldier finishing the Boston Marathon? You see that in honor of his fellow fallen soldiers over in Afghanistan, and the guy cramped up. I don't know how far back in the race, but did you see him? Just crawling because he knew he had to finish. He had to finish. Read with me, would you please? Now. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. Wow, the resurrection is this hallmark. Now let's get some things kind of under our belt, so to speak, about this passage of Scripture. Because one of the things that we really need to make sure about is to whom the Apostle Paul is writing. And one of the biggest mistakes about this passage is whether he's writing to Christians, people who know and trust the Lord Jesus, or people who are not Christians, who have not come to faith yet. Now, it's very important to note that he's writing to Christians. So he says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you 
You say there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, when he says some of you, he's not talking to unbelievers. It's not as if he's saying, okay, if Christ is proclaimed among Christians, you Christians, how is it that some of you non-Christians say that there's no resurrection of the dead? That's not what's happening. What's actually happening is, is he's speaking to all Christians, and what he's saying to them is, if Christ is indeed proclaimed as risen from the dead, how is it that some of you Christians are saying that there's no resurrection of the dead? Now, that obviously begs the question, can a person not believe in the resurrection of the dead and still be a Christian? Now, that's pretty much a topic for another day, but let me just cut that off fairly quickly to say, certainly a person can become a Christian without understanding all the technicalities of being resurrected from the dead. They certainly can be. In fact, I would suggest to you most people probably don't really know all of the teachings and the doctrine of the resurrection when they come to know the Lord. And yet, as we grow as Christians, as we become more and more mature in Christ, certainly the resurrection then becomes a very center, a very focal point, a very sound and serious doctrine for us to embrace. And so here you have an immature church, a church that is weak in its doctrine, a group of people who are not actually denying Christ risen from the dead. They're not denying resurrection from the dead, but they have a wrong interpretation of it. You see, this is a group of people who want to separate completely a person's soul from the body. And so they're okay with thinking that a soul is resurrected from the dead. In fact, if they're a true believer, they would say that this is a past event. When they became a Christian, that's when their personal resurrection happened. And there's a sense in which that is true. There's a part of that that's true, but that's not what 1 Corinthians is talking about right here. And so they want to separate the soul. The soul is resurrected, but the body remains and separate those two kinds of things. And the Apostle Paul is coming in contradiction to that kind of a notion. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And he goes on and presents this back and forth, back and forth. But I would suggest to you, and the text makes it very clear that indeed Christ is risen from the dead. But humor me for just a moment. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then the implications of this passage are as follows. No one is raised from the dead. Then our preaching is not worth anything. It's in vain. And for that matter, your faith is in vain. And we indeed are misrepresenting God. And not even Christ is raised from the dead. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And everyone who has died has perished. And finally, we should be people who are pitied. Do you see in going through that negation of it how this is a linchpin for all that it means to be a Christian? Why, without the resurrection? In fact, the resurrection is the number one thing preached by all the apostles. I just illustrate through the 
through the, uh, the, the book of Acts, the journey of the apostles after the time of Christ. In Acts 2.24, it says God raised him up. 2.32, this Jesus God raised up. 3.15, whom God raised from the dead. 3.26, God having raised up his servant. 4.10, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom God raised. Chapter 5, verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus. Chapter 10, verse 40, but God raised him from the dead, 1333, by raising Jesus, 1334, as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, 1337, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Chapter 26, verse 8, God raises the dead. It is the focal point of the preaching, of the apostolic preaching from then on. So indeed, Jesus is raised. Uh, the, the reality is that Jesus would be a liar were he not raised from the dead. Because even he testifies in John chapter 17, verse 4. It says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Jesus has completed absolutely everything. And he's completed it in the way orchestrated by the Father. Yea, orchestrated by the Godhead, the Trinity. You see, because there's a doctrine called the, um, the covenant of redemption, and I've mentioned this to you before, but it's particularly important as we speak about the mission being accomplished. You, you see, Jesus didn't just learn about his mission when he was born in that little town of Bethlehem. He didn't learn about the mission that was going to happen at age 12 when he was in the temple teaching. No, no, no. Jesus knew the mission well before the foundation of the earth. When the Godhead assembled together and the Father said, this is what I will do to redeem a people for myself and bring glory to myself. I will give my son. And the son in that meeting said, I will humble myself and take on the form of a, a man. Yea, not just a man, but a bondservant and all the way to the cross. This is what the Son said that he would do. And the Spirit in that meeting before the foundation of the earth said that... After Christ is risen and ascended back to the Father, we will not make believers orphans, but the Spirit said, I will come and I will live in them and I will be the indwelling Spirit, giving them the power to live the Christian life. This is a, a group meeting before the foundation of the earth that there was a clear and definite plan. Take a look at Acts chapter 2. In verse 22 through 24, men of Israel, Peter is preaching, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. And here it is. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. Do you see that in the text right there? To the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It wasn't a mistake. 
You, you watch the History Channel and you watch some of the movies that are going on about the life of Christ and some of the documentaries and some of the you know, higher scholarship, the liberal peoples around the world, and they're going to be infiltrating different thoughts. Well, this happened and then he, he, he messed up and he didn't succeed in doing this and so he had to try and do that. Oh no, my friends. Jesus fulfilled, accomplished the mission according to the definite plan of God. And no mistakes were made. And in fact, it is very applicable because take a look at the continuing part of this definite plan in verse 24. Because you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, here it is, God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so he was loosed and loosed from the chains that held him. We love to sing. This is the mission accomplished. The, the Godhead using the resurrection of Christ to complete the mission. But not only is the mission accomplished, but the mission is approved. For the mission approved, I'll put this on your screen, but I'm going to turn over to Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 4. And in chapter 4 of Romans, verses 23 through 25, um, Paul is writing about the faith that Abraham had. And when Abraham had faith, the Bible says that God accounted it to Abraham as righteousness. Now, picking that up in verse 23, but the words, it was accounted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who what? Who raised him from the dead. Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Wow, some big words there, especially that word justification. That word justification is a, is a legal term, a forensic term, a, a courtroom term in the original language here. And so he says he was raised for our justification. Now my point to be made here is, is that, um, that the resurrection is the display of the mission approved. The mission approved. Now we need to connect those dots just a little bit because you, know, you could get lost here. Justification and the mission approved. What's happening here? Well, the Bible says here that, that he was delivered up, that is, that he was crucified for our sins. We've heard that. That's the gospel. That's where the gospel begins, because of our sin, because we have disobeyed God, that Jesus died on the cross. Why didn't I die on the cross? Maybe I should have died on the cross. I mean, I'm the one that, that sinned. Why didn't I die on the cross? Why didn't God say, okay, each one of you die on the cross for your sins? Well, the simple reason for that is we are not an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. We are sinners. We have been tempted and we have sinned. But the Bible says that Jesus, though he was tempted, never sinned. 
And you see, therefore, if he never sinned, he becomes an acceptable sacrifice. That's why I'm not an acceptable sacrifice. So he was delivered up for my trespasses. But he was raised from the dead for my justification. So being a legal term, what's going on here? Well, it's a legal term that describes what happens after faith. Say that again. It's a legal description about what happens after faith. The Holy Spirit comes inside, convicts us of sin, gives us a new heart, changes our heart. And as a response to him changing our heart, we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our response. God's response to that as the judge of our sins takes the gavel in his hand, takes the gavel in his hand, slaps it on the top of the desk and says, justified. He takes the gavel as the judge based on our faith, on our faith alone, and he says, not guilty. What he has done, though, is he's he's not made us perfect. He's not changed us inherently. What he has done is he's taking the righteousness, the right living, the sinless, perfect life of Christ, and he's taken that and he has accounted it to us. He has reckoned it to us. We're not good enough, are we? Which one of us thinks you want to try and get to heaven based on your own merit? We would never want to do that because we would always fall short. But the Bible says that when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he was raised from the dead for our justification, for us to receive that reckoning of God, not guilty, based on the fact that the attributing life Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is now ours. It's the doctrine of imputation. He imputes that to us. We're not perfect. We're not made righteous. We're accounted righteous based on what Christ has done for us. When does that happen? Boom. When Jesus is raised from the dead and God justifies. That's when it happens. And so therefore, I would say to you, that Jesus Christ and his sacrifice has been approved by God. See it? It's been approved by God. Why? Because he raised him from the dead. If Christ is not raised from the dead, we're not justified and we're still in our sins. Oh, God has approved the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus has accomplished it And the Father has approved it. Not only is it accomplished and approved, but it has been applied. I go back to my 1 Corinthians text for just a moment. Going back to my 1 Corinthians text in chapter 15, and I've already read down through here in these these verses. I want to read again. I'm down at about verse 16 now. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Oh, If you don't believe in the doctrine of the resurrection from the dead, then obviously Jesus has not been raised. Well, now, wait a minute. We've been to the tomb. I I know what you're saying. 
You're, you're, not, you're not just saying that you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Your interpretation is, is that the resurrection is actually just that, a spiritual resurrection, just the soul is raised. But you're denying the bodily resurrection. Well, if you're denying the bodily resurrection, then tell me what's going on with the life of Christ. Because if your doctrine is true and the tomb is empty, you're, you must be wrong. Did Jesus have to be raised from the dead? Did Jesus have to be raised from the dead? I mean, think about it for just a moment. Okay, could be a plan. Um, Here's some sinners convicted of their sin. Jesus has said, I will... I'll accomplish the mission. I'll go to the cross. I'll die for them. If by faith they trust in me, then then they're saved. End of story. Did Jesus have to resurrect? Well, of course, we believe that he did. But my question then is why? Why does Jesus have to be raised from the dead in order for faith. Now, this is a very important question that not many Christians can answer, quite frankly. Did Jesus, why did Jesus have to be raised from the dead? Well, I'd ask you this then. Where did death come from? Well, if we rewind, folks, we believe that the Bible is all one book, and so we can go back even to the very beginning. We can go back to that story in Genesis. Why most people know about that story. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve, and and God placed them in there. And and God said in chapter 3, he said, Of all of the trees of the garden, you may eat. But of the tree that's in the center of the garden, of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat. For in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. There it is. Sin results in death. Now follow me. Sin results in death. Now, if, if, if sin, sin's end is death, then as a sinner, I would die, and I would die in my sins. Now, if Jesus died and is not resurrected, then Jesus is what? That's right. Jesus is subject to death, and death comes from sin. Therefore, Jesus must be a sinner. If he just remains dead and subject to death, then he's a sinner. And we are still in our sins. I like the way R.C. Sproul puts it. This is the way that R.C. writes about this particular doctrine. If Jesus had stayed dead, it would have proven that death had a rightful claim over him. And since death has a rightful claim only over sinners, Jesus' remaining dead would have meant that he was a sinner and not a redeemer. 
Did Jesus have to rise from the dead? He had to rise from the dead or else he would have been a sinner and therefore he would not have accomplished. God would not have approved and there was nothing to apply unless Jesus is raised from the dead. It is finished. It is accomplished, approved, and applied. We really desperately need the resurrection, the completed earthly journey of Christ because we have mountains, we have challenges, we have our sin nature that we cannot overcome. How great that chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I'm forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. Can you say that? I pray that you can. If you are here today and you do not have that faith in the accomplished work, that work that the Father has approved, it has not yet been applied to you. I'd love to talk with you about that. We're going to have prayer partners up here. But right now, I, I'm just going to go ahead and ask you all to stand. Would the team please come forward? The worship team, would you please stand with us, would you? Go ahead, folks. Yes. Now listen, this is a great day. This is a wonderful day. And I think that the testimony of the risen Christ should be proclaimed. And so right now we're going to sing these words. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ. My living, my living, my living hope. Lead us, brother.